Hello, I'm Kimberly Dondo, Digital Content Manager, and welcome to In Conversation With, the podcast series that delves into the world of financial services and brings you face-to-face with some of the most notable figures in the industry. Listen as we discuss topics that are currently facing the industry and hear from visionary CEOs to disruptive innovators as we bring you a diverse array of voices and perspectives. We'll explore the challenges they faced, the lessons they've learned, and the insights they have to share about the ever-evolving landscape of financial services. Hello and welcome to In Conversation With. Uh, today I'm joined by James Maybe, who is a senior associate at Winkworth Sherwood. Um, so James, if you could give us a bit more of an introduction about yourself and your history. Uh, sure. So I am a, um, as can be said, I'm a senior associate at Winkworth Sherwood. Um, I've been here for um, coming up to two years. Um, I have a background in private client law. I spent eight and a half years um, at a firm called Hunters, where I practiced um, uh, private client law, prepared wills for clients. Um, I've done a lot of probate work in the past, and um, I also give advice on lasting powers of attorney, issues of mental capacity, and trust and tax advice. Okay, great. So I think you're well placed to answer this uh, first question that I have, which is, um, what is an LPA and how does it differ in terms of um, its purpose and scope from a will? So an LPA is shorthand for a lasting power of attorney. Mm -hmm. And a lasting power of attorney is a document whereby you can appoint somebody during your lifetime to act on your behalf typically if you've lost mental capacity yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, there are two different types of a lasting power of attorney. There is a property and financial affairs lasting power of attorney and then another one for health and welfare. Right. So bo- both documents, you can appoint somebody to make decisions if you are not capable of making them yourself during your lifetime. Um, when you die, the lasting power of attorney is no longer of any use. And it's at that point that whatever you said in your will comes into effect. Right. Okay. So I'm sure you've probably come across a lot of misconceptions that some people might have, but what commonly comes up um, in terms of misconceptions about wills and LPAs? Um, I think one of the um, one one of the common misconceptions um, is the fact that uh, people make assumptions about what might happen mm-hmm. in the event that they lose capacity. Um, they would assume that somebody close to them, perhaps a partner or a child, might automatically take over the running of their affairs. Um, that isn't the case. Right. So um, and 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 very similarly with a will, people assume that when they die. Um, everything might pass to one particular person or to multiple people. Um, In fact, if you do not make these documents, um, when it comes to managing affairs, if you've lost capacity, the only other way to do it, if you haven't made one, is to make an application to the court. And that is a very long and quite often expensive expensive process um, in appointing um, somebody here. In that instance, it's called a deputy. Um, and a similar thing, if you die without making a will, um, it is the state who, which decides um, how your assets pass. So there is a prescribed order. 
Mm-hmm. And it does um, it does involve close relatives in a way that you might expect. But um, a good example is if you are married but and have children, or if you're mm-hmm. in a civil partnership with children, then uh, there is um, a division between uh, your children and your um, spouse or civil partner. So it, okay. With a will, you can you can um, you have much more freedom to decide how how your assets should pass. Right, um, and with an LPA, can you have um, two separate people like appointed um, in terms of one person would look after you in terms of your health, and then the other person can look after your assets? Is that something? Uh, that's that's quite common. I mean, often people do want the same person. Uh, but mm-hmm. um, uh, it may well be the case that they have um, a friend or business associate or somebody who might be better off running their finances, mm-hmm. um, perhaps alongside a partner. Um, and with, when it comes to health, that's mu- that's more of a kind of private matter. So you may well want just want family members involved with that. But it does de- it does depend. Mm-hmm. There is um, also the ability to appoint replacement attorneys so if the person you appointed themselves have lost capacity or if they have died before you then mm-hmm. you can have replacements that step in substitutes that that come in at that stage okay yeah that makes a lot of sense um so obviously you talked a little bit about um some of the consequences but can you go into a little bit more detail about the consequences of not having you know a will or an L- a- lpa um for you if you were you know if you had diminished capacity or if you passed away or for your loved ones if both of those scenarios happened Right. So, um, just taking taking each of those in turn. So, if mm-hmm. you if you die without a will, um, the first thing that um, is likely to happen is there's going to be some uncertainty amongst your family members about what what happens next, mm. and um, there's going to be um, probably a bit of an absence of clarity and a bit of confusion. Mm-hmm. Um, there may also be worries about tax because. Mm. Um, the the example I described earlier about assets being split between your spouse or your civil partner and then your children. Um, the thing about children is that they aren't they they don't benefit from an inheritance tax exemption. Mm-hmm. So there may also be concerns about inheritance tax, which could be payable when otherwise it might not. And that tends to trigger anxieties about what. might need to be sold to pay the tax. And that's particularly worrying if what we're talking about, um, as most people, their their biggest asset is their flat or their house, if -hmm. they're a property owner, and um, the anxiety is about having to sell that to to pay a tax bill. Um, So that's typically the first thing that you might find where somebody has died without a will. Um, The next is that uh, it is generally more complicated um, it's, so the situation we're talking about is what's called an intestacy, where there isn't a will. It's mm-hmm. generally a more complicated process. Um, it can take longer as well. Um, and as a result, it can be more expensive if you are um, involving a firm of solicitors. Mm-hmm. So those those are the major downsides. And then the big one, of course, is that who you intended to benefit might not benefit either entirely or to the same extent. So the people who you may have 
assured during your lifetime that they would be fine, that they would be covered, um, may, may not be. Yeah. Okay. Well, th- those all seem like pretty daunting um, consequences um, and certainly makes me think about um, my parents and seeing <laughs> exactly what those documents are and if they are in place, it makes you, you know, it makes you think. Um, obviously, it's something that people sometimes put to the back burner because they don't yep. want to um, think of a reality in which that happens, but it's right. better to be safe than sorry. Mm-hmm. Um so what is the process in setting up um, a will? And then the follow-up to that would also be, what is the process of setting up an LPA? Uh, so setting up a will, um, you can you can have wills prepared by all kinds of different people. You can have wills prepared by solicitors. Um, you can have their even online will-making um tools mm-hmm. um and um there are kind of do-it-yourself wills as well um we obviously um always recommend going to going to a solicitor for a number of reasons mm-hmm. um solicitors may think of things that um otherwise you would not think of um you can um also have the reassurance that a will has been properly drafted and that it's valid so mm-hmm. wills there are various formalities for making a will um, it needs to be um, signed in the presence of two witnesses. It needs to be dated. Um, the person making it needs to know and approve its contents. And they have to have the requisite capacity to make the will. So having a will prepared by a solicitor is um, definitely the best way forward. Mm-hmm. Um, typically, that solicitor will discuss your your family situation with you. Um, they will discuss the nature of your assets, what you own, and they may well advise on different approaches you might want to take in your will, whether it's leaving money outright or in trusts. And then having advised you, um, it'll be for you to decide exactly what you would like to do and the solicitor will then prepare a draft for you to approve, to look at and approve. Um, Maybe some amending. Once you're happy with it, uh, it then needs to be signed in the presence of two witnesses and dated. And from that point, it is a valid document. Uh, you would also generally have a clause in it saying that it revokes previous wills. So any right. wills you may have made in the past, um, as soon as you've signed that new will, including that statement, are then revoked. Mm-hmm. The will uh, would often then um, go into storage or safekeeping. So uh, lots of firms of solicitors have a f- large fireproof safe where the original wills are kept. Oh, wow. Um, and then uh, when you die, it'll be for your executors or family to come to the solicitor. And then um, that will is then uh, then goes through the probate process where mm-hmm. it is proved and sent to the court. Okay. Um, and what is the process um, for setting up an LPA? Uh, so setting up an LPA, um, LPAs are, um, uh, they are um, looked after by a organization called the um, uh, Office of the Public Guardian, the OPG. Mm-hmm. And the uh, you can either ask a firm of solicitors to prepare them for you, or you mm-hmm. can um, do them yourself. There's an online uh, way of doing them. Mm-hmm. Um, once you've made them, they need to be signed in a very in a prescribed order. So they need to be signed by you. 
then you need to have some what's called a certificate provider who can be either a solicitor or your doctor if they're willing to do it for you um, or a friend who's known you for at least two years to, to sign the document to certify that you're capable of making it that you have that you're you're, you're mentally capable of, of, of giving the power mm. um, the power of attorney um, there are various people who can't act as a certificate provider family members and employees okay included um, and then it's for your attorneys to then sign the document so it's very important that it's done in a prescribed order once it's been completed it then should be sent for registration with the office of the public guardian mm-hmm. um, who then process it they register it and they return it to you or to your firm of solicitors for safekeeping and then the hope is that it never needs to be used Mm-hmm. Uh, but if it does, then uh, the original certified copies can be taken of the original and they can be sent to banks or whatever organizations are needed to show that the attorneys are now authorized to deal with your affairs. Okay. That seems like it makes sense. A uh, very simple, well, not simple, but like a very clear process to do that. Um, so what are some key considerations that um, a person who is trying to set up a will or an LPA should take, um, such as choosing an executor or agent um, and outlining their ish- their wishes and updating the documents over time? Like what what is that process like? Yeah, so when it comes to the choice of executor, that's a very important choice to make. Mm. Um, so this is the person who is going to what's called administer your estate. Mm. So they're going to take control of your um, assets after you die, and they are going to um, make sure that they are administered, that debts are paid, um, and that ultimately the money is, um, assets may need to be sold, ultimately the money reaches its intended recipients. Mm-hmm. Um, so that person, most importantly, needs to be somebody you trust, somebody who who you think is capable of doing that, either on their own or with the help of a solicitor. So mm-hmm. you want somebody who's reasonably financially savvy or business-minded mm-hmm. um, to be able to do that, um, e- efficient as well. Quite often, clients choose a combination of people. So they may have a family member that knows everything, um, the assets intimately. They may also want to have um, somebody who is a little bit arm's length, like a friend or a professional Mm. um, that isn't quite so so involved, but they can give a kind of independent viewpoint. Um, So typically, you do see a combination of people um, acting as executors. Um, In terms of updating wills it's very often it's very easy to make a will and then Mm -hmm. to have a number of life events and then for those wills to then be quite out of date Mm. Um, so what we uh, generally advise is that um, clients should look at their wills about once every three to five years okay to review it check that they're still current check they still reflect their wishes Mm -hmm. Um, if there are sort of major life events then it's worth reviewing the wills um, regardless of that time frame so um, I'm thinking about the birth of children. Mm-hmm. Um, are they going to be well provided for? Um, who might you want to appoint as their guardians in the events that you die before they reach the age of 18? Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, things like divorce would um, uh, have a bearing on wills um, and any 
inheritance or any um, sale of a business or something like that that produces a, a kind of windfall of money as well, you may want to think about um, how that impacts on uh, on your will, whether you still want to leave things in the way that you have. So it's very important to keep them under review and not just to put them away um, for decades. Yeah, I'm sure some people just forget about it, but um, it is definitely something that you need to, I've heard horror stories, you know, of people just um, having to, I'm not sure if it's a UK thing. I've heard lots of American stories where people are contesting wills and such. Yeah. Um, but I'm not, is, 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 is there a similar process where you can contest a will? Yes, there is. Um, and it's something, something that's on the rise. Okay. Um, so, um, uh, and I guess it's one of the um, uh, uh, other countries have or other jurisdictions have uh, prescribed or they have what's called forced airship. So um, the state decides how money should pass. But um, uh, here in England and Wales, we we don't have that. Mm. Um, and as a result, uh, you, you can have people leaving out people who otherwise might think they should benefit. Mm. So you see challenges around that. Um, you see challenges to wills around uh, also issues of um, uh, 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 contesting um, contesting estates, um, trusts generally, uh, and um, it's something that's definitely on the rise. Yeah, I can imagine someone being quite upset. I should have been there, um, yes. regardless of what their previous relationship might have been yes. like. Yes. Um, but I also wonder, um, being someone who um, has family who have assets in other countries, mm -hmm. is that something that is quite tricky to deal with? Um, you know, I have uh, my my family, uh, we're Zimbabwean, so mm -hmm. um, my parents have um, assets in Zimbabwe. So I wonder, you know, is is it something that you, if you have assets in a different country, is uh, would you have to have something set up in that country, or can you do it, you know, in the country that you're mainly a resident at the moment? Yeah, well, it's generally advisable to have something set up in the country. Okay, um, uh, it is possible. Um, so if you make a will um, here in England and Wales, um, you can uh, you can describe it as covering your worldwide estate. But the question there will be, does the country, does the other country overseas in which you have assets recognize the validity of a will here? Mm. And in the answer in some cases might be yes, in other cases might be no. Mm. So what you would be doing is you would be using that uh, English will to try to um, uh, I use that to govern your assets overseas. And generally, it's better to have a locally made will. Mm. But if you are going to have two wills, it's important that the two wills don't conf don't um, cancel each other out. Mm -hmm. So yeah. they need to make sure that they are standalone for the assets mm. in each jurisdiction. Um, okay. The advantage of having a local will is that it, it's those kind of reasons I described earlier, um, speed, um, mm. efficiency, um, cost, just generally simpler. And and a Zimbabwean court is going to recognize a Zimbabwean will much more yeah, easily yeah. and quickly than they are going looking looking at what would be a foreign will otherwise. Yeah, yeah. No, that makes complete sense. Um, so just cover all your bases, basically. Mm -hmm. um, so um, finally, um, what role do legal professionals and 
well, our audience is mostly financial advisors. So what role can they play with each other when it comes to the creation and execution of wills? Obviously, you know, financial advisors look over a lot of their clients' assets. So do they, in your in your experience, have you worked closely with financial advisors when it comes to creation and execution? Um, so we work closely with financial advisors when it comes to estate planning generally. Mm. So we find um, uh, clients who um, clients typically go to financial advisors if they're not sure what to do with their money or they they concerned their money is in the wrong place. And financial advisors will um, advise on what, on what they should do with their money and how they should structure their affairs. That is quite similar to our work, but um, so the two kind of really um, uh, sort of fit, fit hand in glove, I guess. Yeah. Um, we what we what we do is we look at everything in the round, and then we put in place the documents that protect them in the event of um, death or the onset of mental incapacity. Mm. Um, we'll also look at things like pension, death benefit nominations, and those kind of things, um, which is which is sort of moving into the financial advisor territory. Um, mm. But what we're not regulated to give financial advice. Of course. Um, so um, it, it's really important to both have that financial advice and to have the legal advice if you want to make sure you've you've covered all bases. Yeah, and do you think that, like moving forward, that legal professionals and financial planners, advisors will be working closely just to make these processes a lot simpler? Uh, yes. Um, yes. And uh, it's important in that case to um, uh, uh, to make sure that you're working um, in a good team, that you have a good, a good legal advisor and a good financial planner, um, a financial advisor in place, um, mm-hmm. and that um, people that, that that can understand what each other are doing um, easily and um, and get on. I mean, typically we'll have clients um, in the same. We'll, we'll all be all be together around a table, so we'll have mm-hmm. financial advisor, legal advisor, um, and and client um, to, to try to give that seamless advice. Yeah. That sounds perfect. Well, thank you so much for speaking with me today, James. I really learned a lot and I enjoyed it. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to In Conversation With. We do hope that you enjoyed it. Please do keep up to date with all our new releases via Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and everywhere else you get your podcasts from. You can also keep up to date with all our new content published on the Money Marketing website, as well as our print edition, Money Marketing Magazine. So make sure to subscribe. Follow us on Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram. See you next time.